All right, welcome back to the Underground Sessions. I'm your host, Dylan Federici. Before we jump into the interview today, I am here with the founder of Soldier Straps, Jen Tabor. What is going on? Everything's going great. We're working at our school today, and uh, I have had so much fun working with you guys, having you over and helping us take care of this. We are thrilled that you are a part of this and um, very excited to open the school in the summer of 2022. 2022. That means we're going to have to get out here and do a lot more work. But um, the school is kind of top secret right now, so we're not going to give you too many details about what's going on in here. I know we gave a little bit away in our interview with Jen a couple weeks back, so if you want to go check that out, you can pause right now, go listen to that interview, come back to this. It's all good. Um, But yeah, check it all out. Head over to the Soldier Straps Instagram because you guys are posting a lot of cool stuff on there as well, right? Always trying, yeah. Always posting cool stuff head over to soldier s-o-u-l-d-i-e-r dot u-s check out some of the awesome products they have for sale i want you to know the power of the underground you just press down in this lever with your thumb and then um so our guest today is james greg of greg guitars how's it going man Going good. How about you guys? Great. Living the dream up here in yeah. Chicago land. Um, so talk to us a little bit about how the uh, the journey started to becoming a guitar maker. Because I, I feel like that's not exactly the easiest industry to get into. It's it's really not. I mean, it kind of, I guess the, the short version of it is I was always around music growing up. My dad played professionally. And he was also a, he's also a handy guy, carpenter, and did a lot of woodworking and stuff. So uh, all, both of those passions kind of got, you know, fueled pretty early on in me. So he'd take me to the rehearsal hall with him when his band was practicing, and I'd get to go to live shows. And um, eventually, I kind of got the itch to learn how to play the guitar. And uh, from there, it kind of went to woodworking and and the love for playing guitars merged together and um, kind of, I guess it was around middle school. I had been playing guitar for a while. I started uh, looking at, you know, garage sales and, and pawn shops and wherever I could, because, you know, if, if you got one guitar, that's not good enough. You need more. So well, we that's kind of when the bug bit me. <laughs> I was like, how can I get into a bunch of guitars and, uh, you know, for cheap and, kind of upcycle them, I guess. And, uh, so the, the journey kind of started with that. I'd buy a really cheap beat up guitar and practice working on them and see if I could make them better. And then eventually I'd flip them, make a little money. And it's kind of the thing where you start with the paper clip and you keep trading it up and up and up. And then next thing you know, you end up with the American Stratocaster. <laughs> we need those secrets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, res- I respect that. I mean, I I am a, obviously not on your level. I'm a little more casual of a woodworker, and I, I made one guitar myself. But uh, usually the guitars I buy and modify or change stuff up or do whatever, like I like them too much to let them go. So <laughs> it's, uh-huh. I don't end up getting rid of them, so I lose money on all of those deals. <laughs> <laughs> I totally understand that. Yeah, we're all snake bitten with the uh, gear addiction, so... 
<laughs> it's uh, it's it's a disease. <laughs> yeah. It's a fun one though. Oh yeah, the tone disease is the best. For sure. Well, then from from there, like through middle school and high school, I kept doing that, and and uh, next thing you know, I was selling a bunch of these, and I started building some parts guitars, buying like pre-made necks and bodies, and uh, later on in high school, I guess it was my junior year, is whenever I in woodshop class, I cut out my first actual body and made one from the ground up. And, uh, it was a, it was a cool experience for sure. Um, but I guess I didn't initially set out to, to be a guitar builder per se. I, uh, I had a lot of fun doing that, but I had more ambition for kind of playing at the time too. Mm-hmm. So I, kind of took the journey i ended up being a professional musician for a while touring around all over the all over the united states and i'd still tinker with stuff when we were off the road because you know you'd live on a tour bus and you'd be gone for a week or two at a time and you'd be home and have a lot of time off mm-hmm. and i was like well i need something to do because i'm going to lose my mind just sitting around the house when i'm not not on, on the road working yeah and uh then I'd see little problems, you know, like, Hey, this guitar, you're a little theater in, in Chicago or, you know, St. Louis or Memphis or wherever. And it's really buzzy. So how can I make these single coils quieter, you know, or my humbuckers are too dark. I don't like how that sounds. What can I do to change that? And, you know, being out on the road doing that, it just made me see a lot of problems. And I was like, well, how can I alter this or change this or maybe make it better? Okay. So you're kind of, was more or less looking at flaws in guitars and be like, how can I remove these flaws from that guitar? Maybe if it was expensive or not, but still finding some way to improve it. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, exactly that. And, uh, so eventually I, I would do a lot of repairs and, and tweaks and I'd swap out pickups and, and went down that rabbit hole of how can I mod these and change them to make them better? Um, and eventually that led into me winding my own pickups, but that was, that's farther down the road. But, um, so I did that for a while. And then after I got off the road, came back to Texas, I became like a certified repair guy for Gibson, Fender, all the big brands through a store that I worked for. So they kind of definitely helped me, you know, see all of the things that I liked about certain brands and didn't like when I started building my guitars from the ground up, implementing fixes for the problems that I didn't like and, and other instruments that I had played. That's so is, is there a brand that you favor more? After I like certain brands for certain reasons. The The most unlikely brand that I kind of have a lot of more respect for than some other brands is Music Man. Um, their craftsmanship and quality, they build amazing quality stuff. I mean, we'd have fenders and every fender in Gibson that would come in the shop would have to have setups and Gibson's would, I mean, like extreme work would have to be done to a lot of Gibson's to make them play well enough to sell. It was pretty, pretty wild. Yeah. That's crazy to hear. Cause you, you know, we're, we're part of like that, uh, consumer targeted where they're always like, Oh, the quality and you know, this and that. Well, yeah. Know, Gibson's it, advertising <laughs> is you're not a real guitar player unless you own a Gibson, basically, you know, Um, play authentic. Yeah. Right. Um, but no, I mean, it's interesting that you say that about music, man, because we have a, uh, a good buddy of ours that we play with 
that is like he swears by him. He's got, he's got their two ba- of them. Yeah, he's got five string stingray and then a I think not like a was metal it the one. Sterling or whatever. Uh, uh, I think it's a or, saber. Mm-hmm. No, uh, something something like the that. The saber's the metal one. But one of, but, one yeah. of their their really nice USA model music mans and I, I mean they play unbelievable. But he swears by him. He's like I don't think I'm gonna buy any other guitars than the the music mans from here on out. So. Yeah. <laughs> They're just great, man. They would actually show up. I mean, even Paul Reed Smiths are really nice. They're beautiful guitars. Um, and they would come in pretty consistent. But music mans, they would just, they would arrive. You'd tune them up and they were good to go. You didn't really have to do many adjustments. But their fitment, like how they fit their necks and bodies together, and then their attention to detail for all the finish work. Like if you look at Gibson, they're notorious for having a bunch of overspray and areas that are hard to buff. They just kind of like, well, we'll try to spray enough lacquer on here where it flows out to where it'll be passable. But it's like whoever is painting and, and buffing the guitars at Music Man cared enough to get in those areas and actually sand and polish them out to where the whole guitar is, is the same sheen and there's no weird textures in certain spots or anything like that. Do you think the new uh, CEO of uh, Gibson is kind of pushing them in a different direction? Because I know that's that was a big thing for him to step in. Man, he kind of ruffled a lot of feathers when he first came in. He was going after all the small companies that I are. Remember that video with Mark Agnesi? Right. They were like, "Oh, we're gonna find you and we're gonna take you down for anything that's copied of any Gibson body style or anything." They were like going hard. <laughs> then- I mean, don't get me wrong. I own several Gibsons myself, but my whole thought process behind it is: if you built your guitars to the level of quality that they should be built, there wouldn't be an aftermarket market to build your instruments better than you build them. Yeah. Heritage guitars wouldn't exist if <laughs> yeah. you, if you did it good enough. That's a great way to look. <laughs> right. At yeah. Heritage is super cool. Back on the, after college, my first touring gig was with a group out of Branson, Missouri. So I kind of, <laughs> I took the alternate route. Stuff, yeah. I went, <laughs> I went to where all the old people go to retire to start my music <laughs> career. It's kind of ironic, but I mean, it was fun. I got to play with, the band leader was a founding member of the Oak Ridge boys. So that was okay. super cool. But the time this back into heritage guitars, we were on tour up there and we ac- actually got to go and tour their factory, the original Gibson factory that they still produce. Yeah, heritage that's guitars. Why, that company's so cool. It's just like some old in, uh, workers and some investors were like, no, we want to keep the spirit of this shop alive, <laughs> yeah. which is awesome. I respect it. Well, the Heritages are great guitars, too. Yeah, I actually just oh, played yeah. one um, at Chicago Music Exchange a few weekends ago. We yeah, went down and did a We lost bit. you for like 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. We couldn't <laughs> find, find you my in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Oh. Uh. <laughs> yeah, they're built extremely well. I mean, I wish that Gibson would kind of take note of some of the stuff that they're doing. You, At a certain point, when you grow to a certain level, you kind of, the soul behind the instrument is gone. You yeah. know, it becomes so automated and it, there's not very many human hands touching it. So it just kicks out the other end, a sterile kind of bland representation of what an instrument used to be. Yeah, that's very true because that's why everyone, you know, we all watch all the guitar players that we all know and love. And they swear by the golden era of the Gibsons and Fenders and the late 50s mm-hmm. and up to the mid 60s, even to the late 60s. I mean, people swear by those things. They're all handmade. They're all indifferent, but they have their own character, and they but, like the the perfect imperfections almost of those things. But no one swears by the modern stuff. Is that what you're saying? I don't know if it's out long enough to really like. 
yeah. say that like, oh, my, you know, 2020 Fender, all you know, yeah, American yeah, yeah, Strat, yeah, yeah, you're right. 30 years down the road, maybe. But right well, now I it's think, hard to say. I think, though, with the stuff like like uh, like James was saying is it's you get the the stuff like the Fenders and the Gibsons have been around so long that people start to do it better. Yeah. You know, you look at like mm-hmm. Sir does all those crazy strats that are phenomenal. You know, you got Heritage doing the Gibson stuff. And I think uh, like Mike and I were having this conversation the other day is like, you know, I think that's a step in the growing up as a guitarist is realizing you don't care about the brand name and it's got to play and sound the way you want it to. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Cause I mean, um, I recently bought an Epiphone slash Les Paul, the gold top one. And I've, when we're to guitar center to AB pretty much any guitar that's out there right now. And you're like, this thing plays just as good. It may not have the specific species of mahogany or whatever that they want to use, but it's got the orange drop pick um, capacitors. It's got all the Gibson hardware internally. So it's like, it's almost a Gibson, you know, and it plays mm-hmm. just as great, but you know, you're not paying 2,200. You're paying 900. <laughs> it's funny. You say that one of my, my touring artist buddies, he, he now lives in Nashville, but um, he had, he had all these different 335s. He had some custom shop ones. He had ones made in Memphis. Um, and then Gibson sent him an Epiphone, like the custom shop Epiphone model. And it didn't matter either one. Like being his, his luthier, he had me do all kinds of stuff to the custom shop ones just to make them, you know, play in tune well. And we changed over to the Klusen locking tuners. They had the vintage footprint, so they fit the same hole. But uh, we did all this work to the custom shop Gibson. And then he got this other one in this Epiphone and we did the same things to it and it actually sustained better and sounded better. It rang out more than the custom shop Gibson. And it's like a $600 guitar. That's crazy. That's bad for Gibson. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's not yeah. a, well, it's good for Gibson cause they sell the Epiphones too, oh, yeah, but it's but bad for Gibson because a third of the price. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah your, your made in Korea line is, <laughs> is competing with your, your custom shop model that's pretty wild yeah I, they always have to play a careful line because now they got the silver sky se's out and you know gibson has the full rebranded epiphones because people have been raving about the 2020 models and it's kind of crazy to see how well, good some of these according to john mayer the 900 dollars <laughs> guitar is the f- best one for a first time guitarist guys <laughs> <laughs> i saw that i couldn't believe it man that's I, like i I, I love John Mayer. I love Paul Reed Smith guitars. But, man, like, how out of touch do you have to be <laughs> to be, like, this $900 guitar? This is, this is what you buy is, your kid. This is, yeah. this is a great first guitar. So he can learn his first G chord on. <laughs> man, you'd be shocked, though. I mean, there's a clientele that will, will do that. Like, I've done a bunch of guitar shows, just big trade shows, you know, that are specifically based around guitars and, and vintage gear and amps and stuff. And parents will roll up that are really invested in their kids. I guess I'm obviously they have to be well-funded to do it, but kids that know like a G chord and they'll pay $3,000 for a custom guitar for them. Wow. So, I mean, it actually happens. We believe it happens. It just, I don't know. Part of it hurts because I think we don't have those guitars, but I think part of that (laughs) too is almost detrimental to developing as a musician, as a guitarist, right? Like, is it's if you're given the best of the best, from the jump, like you don't, 
I don't know. It's part of, part of learning the guitar. I feel like is wrestling with those the struggle eighty dollar Strat knockoffs. Yeah, and, the Target, you ones. know, exactly <laughs> the first act guitars and stuff like that. Like I think that's part of learning how to play guitar is is struggling with some of the the action height is yeah. tall as Mount Everest. Yeah, <laughs> dude, if, if you don't have to wrestle, like it's it's a rite of passage to become a guitar player. You should have to play a nineteen sixties K with the action a half inch off the twelfth fret, like. <laughs> If, if you didn't start there, then you can't appreciate a nice I absolutely love that you said that because I bought a, a 1950s K for $80 on reverb <laughs> during the pandemic and fixed it up. And, and now it's my slide guitar. But and, yeah, and the, uh, the action is very high. The action is very high. <laughs> I had to make my own bridge for it because the original bridge didn't work with it anymore. It was deteriorated. It was wood, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like crumbling, falling apart. And then like the fretboard is like hanging off of the uh neck like it's weird it like hangs over like where the pickup goes and it's like drooping down hmm. <laughs> so it's like uh, I, I don't know it's so it definitely with- needs a lot more work but i put a new nut on it and made a new bridge for it and it's still got you know half inch high strings off the fretboard and i'm like all right slide it is <laughs> yeah it's your lap steel pretty much <laughs> i have the same issue with my k yeah, well, your neck is coming off of the guitar, <laughs> which we need to fix. But we'll, we'll get to it at some point. Uh, <laughs> but K's are great. Not gonna. They've they've got a lot of vibe to them though. Not Being the, the vintage case. the vintage ones made in Chicago and stuff. They got a lot of vibe to them. Yeah, they was, do, and they're made out of really good woods. I mean, a lot of times they used some funky glue to to glue the necks on, and the neck block out is constructed. A lot of them have to have neck resets, but if you if you put the effort into fixing them, they're actually really good sounding guitars. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of times it's more expensive than the guitar cost to put it back together. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think I saw an ad for the specific model that I got. And uh, like I said, I got one for like 80 bucks on reverb. The guy was selling it is like not working, not playable, whatever. And I got it back to a somewhat playable state. Um, But I saw an ad for the same model from I think it was like 1952 or something like that. And they were like $18. (laughs) Like it was like something (laughs) crazy cheap. That's wild. You used to buy your guitars at at Sears, guitars and amps. People are paying crazy money for that stuff now. Yeah, since Jack White came on the scene. Everyone everyone wants their plastic guitars for (laughs) (laughs) $1,200. You remember the one that uh, the guitar had the amp in the case? Yeah, 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 because Jen from Soldier Straps, we were over at the uh, Soldier Straps headquarters um, a couple weeks ago. uh, Does she have them? Yeah, she's got one of the old, uh, like, Supros or Harmonies or one of those, like, older... Uh, they were all the same brand, like they're all made by the same people back in the day. But mm-hmm. yeah, one of the one of those old ones where it's like, yeah, you, the guitar comes out of the case and then you plug the guitar back into the case and it's got like a little <laughs> like eight inch speaker on the front of the case. <laughs> yeah, I saw one of those at a guitar show a while back and it was like twelve or fifteen hundred dollars. Like you got to be kidding me. I passed these up at garage sales for 20 bucks. I was like, nobody's going to nobody wants that thing. It's yeah. so hard to tell because I mean. I I watched some of like the the Gibson Murphy Lab episodes, and you just you just hear all these stories from all these guys. Like, yeah, I bought my first you know seventy two Les Ball for two hundred dollars, and you're like, can you believe what it's worth now? And you're like, who would have thought a two hundred dollar guitar somehow would become this collectible item for this twenty thousand dollar guitar? Six figures, <laughs> right? It's crazy. Man, I wish 
we missed the golden age to be able to buy this stuff right. Like we're just not quite old enough to have, have been able to to get them back then. We're hoping that uh, our guitars that we have are going to be vintage. Well, dude, I I'm hoping though like we don't ever get to the point to where like our money is inflated so much where people are like, oh, you bought your 2013 Gibson for $1,200. That's that's always my first thought is inflation. Like back then $200. If if that happens, we're all fucked. (laughs) (laughs) The only super cool score I've gotten like that, that I actually really appreciated a lot. I got a 61 Fender super amp, the Brown Polex, and they only made them for, I guess, three years. And, uh, it was one of my buddies that I grew up with. His grandpa was a preacher, and he bought that thing brand new, and it just sat in his church ever since he bought it. And I bought it from him, I guess, in the oh maybe early 2000s for $600. And now that thing's worth way more than that. That's, That's your crazy. holy grail. Uh-huh. But it looks brand new. It looks like a new amp. That's nice. Just because it sat in the church the whole time. It never got gigs, never banged around the back of the station wagon. No bar gigs. That's the kind There's of thing not, not even a beer stain. Yeah, I was just going to say, no beer on spilled on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's on, yeah. Wow. Man. That is a... It's a dream. <laughs> it's a fine. Just, yeah. about, just about every vintage Fender amp has, you know, like the the long neck perforation from the, the bottle on top of the Tolex. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. There's a nice little worn down area where you set the bottle every time. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, enough about other gear. Tell us a little bit about your company, your guitars, like kind of your approach to building them. Because, um, I mean, from seeing what you've got on Instagram and, you know, watching countless hours of you. Countless hours of you shaping necks and doing <laughs> binding and stuff like that. Like really, really high quality stuff, really insane craftsmanship that, you know, I don't think you see a lot like you were saying from you know the big name brands and kind of kind of a similar price point to the big name Gibson stuff you know the Les Paul customs and all of that Mm -hmm. yeah so kind of along with uh you know being a, a touring musician and then becoming the repair guy and then seeing all the things that I liked and didn't like um you know in other brands I went from from doing that I got a and offered to be a touring guitar tech with a, a big band out of Texas that, you know, does like national tours there all over the place. And so, uh, basically that was like my proving grounds whenever I was building these guitars, I had built several and sold them, but you know, we'd be gone for a couple of weeks at a time and be home and have time off. So I'd build guitars and, uh, I would take them back out the next week and I'd be like, here, play these. They'd live in, they go through hell, man. They'd be in trailers. So we're up in Chicago in the winter, you know, or New York or wherever, way up north, it's below zero sometimes. And then in the summer out in West Texas, they're inside the trailer in this vault that could be 140 degrees. So I was like, well, let's just see how they, how they hold up, you know, living in a trailer and kind of doing the road life. And, uh, everything that, that I worked on and kind of developed, I got to tweak and, and, you know, tested in the real world. So that's the the new version of kind of what I'm doing. Um, but like the, the level of attention to detail and craftsmanship, I'm like really OCD with, with whatever I do. So 
if I do something that I don't like it, I'll just scrap it and start over because I want it to be perfect. It's not a very good business model, but at least I can sleep good at night knowing that I built something the best that I could do it. Well, if you ever almost get to the finish line and you decide, oh, I'm going to scrap it and start over, like I'll give you my address. You can just <laughs> send, it, send it out this way. And <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, you, you'll like how I started winding pickups, though. We, we started doing these longer tours. We'd be like East Coast to West Coast runs. And uh, you'd have several days off. You're just sitting there in the bus or a hotel. And we had a couple of cocktails one day. And, and me and the, the monitor guy, and I was like, man, I need something to do out on the road. I'm, I'm losing my mind. So I got on eBay and found a used pickup winder. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy this. I think I can do it. I had built amps previously. I had a lot of electronics knowledge. And so that came in and I put them all in a Pelican case and flew the stuff out. And um, I started winding whatever venue we were in. I would wind pickups there and we had a couple of test guitars. We'd put them in and, and try them out. And so like the first, I don't know, 50 sets of pickups that I wound, they were in different cities and states all over the U.S. And I'd write the, the city and state on the back of the pickups where they were wound. And, uh, that was really cool. I got to, you know, play with those in different venues. And we were talking about earlier how you'd be in some really noisy venues with dirty power. So I could wind different iterations of pickups and, and see if I could do certain things to make single coils quieter with bad power and, and do all that. And kind of fast forward to, to now I've been off the road. I got to build for, for a few famous people, you know, out on doing this because, touring artists would always see my stuff backstage. They're like, what is that? It sounded great when they were playing it. So I'd get to show, show my instruments off. And a lot of them ended up ordering stuff. And after, I guess, Vince Gill and Conan O'Brien happened pretty close together. Um, then I decided, I was like, if I'm going to pursue this, do this full time, I need to, this is the time to get off the road and, and pursue it full time. So that's been going on five years ago now that I got off the road and, uh, started off in my garage, you know, I was off tour and I would, I'd walk out there and be like, well, I don't really, I have a couple of orders, but I'll have those done soon. So what I started doing was I would hear people mention like, oh, I'd be so cool if I had a guitar that w was this color that had this pickup configuration, it would do this and this. So I would build those guitars and, and uh, next time they were in town, I'd take them out to the show. Hey, check out this cool guitar I built. And, just uh, so you happens, go. I just, just so had a, you know, I was not reading your mind or anything. <laughs> just so happens, I came up with this really cool combination. Exactly and, uh, what you wanted. Wow! And then they were like, "Dude, they call me a couple of days later. That guitar is haunting me, man. I can't. They're probably going. They're going to hear this now and be like, dang it, this guy's smarter than we thought.' <laughs> but that led to a lot of sales, and so it's just it kind of kept snowballing and. I have a lot of repeat customers and um, because most of my, my customers were touring artists, 2020 like kind of slammed the brakes on a lot of stuff for me because um, nobody was touring. And I was like, well, what do I do now? How do I get an audience? And uh, that's when I went to TikTok and started pushing a lot harder on Instagram, doing a lot more in-depth videos, kind of trying to show my passion and process of what I do. Um, but from 2020 to, to now, man, things are blowing up. I've got 
tons of orders and people are, I mean, it's pretty awesome. People respect you enough to, and trust you enough, honestly, to place orders, never even playing your guitars for different states. Um, it's, it's a really cool thing, but yeah, I'm getting a, a lot of orders for acoustics and electrics now. So before 2020, awesome. were most of your sales, uh, professional musicians touring and then it changed after 2020 to more private sales? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, because of all the artists that I worked with out on the road, um, that was my biggest clientele. I didn't do a lot. I did some social media stuff, but I was kind of, I never wanted to be, I would work in front of the camera, but I didn't ever want to talk or explain anything. Or I was just kind of shy on social media. Right. And my wife kept pushing me. She was like, you just got to get out there and just try it out. You don't have anything to lose. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I mean, I've kind of found a groove with it, I guess. It seems to be working. I think it just, it's more of a relatability to the fact of I can see exactly. I may not have played your guitar. I don't, you know, there's not like dealers that haven't on display, but I trust the process and I know what goes into making the guitar itself. So I feel like there's more of a buyer's confidence rather than like, I'm just taking a risk at some, some guy on the internet. Like you actually see mm -hmm. the process of it made, you know, you have some basic explanation, show the process, even different guitars you built. So I think that's what's um, attesting to more of the private sales or consumer, regular consumers. For sure. And luckily I had a, a good artist roster and it kind of keeps growing, you know, and I mean, Brad a lot Paisley's of people that name <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I mean, that was, Brad Paisley and Vince Gill, like those are pretty like respected then, names in the, in national, that scene, you know, national TV at a Conan where the guy's playing your guitar in the band. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Jimmy V. That was so fun. We, uh, I got to, to hang out with Jimmy V before the show, and I had two of those. Those are hybrid models. I probably can't say that. My LP hybrid models. Oh, yeah. We'll cut, cut, we'll cut, we'll the, we'll cut the word out of it. We'll bleep <laughs> no, it we'll out bleep for it you. Out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, give me the censored beep. <laughs> you said but the LP word. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, so those are my – both of those that I had at that show, they were my hand-wound filter tron, and I'd kind of wound them a little bit hotter with a different gauge wire because – Typical filter trons are super low output. And then I was back in the green room with Jimmy V hanging out. And he had like a, a 50s Les Paul back there, the real deal. And he's like, man, this is crazy. Your, your filter trons have a lot of similarities to these actual early 50s PAF humbuckers. And we were playing them back and forth. Super cool. And then he played a green one that I made um, the same night that we, we gave that guitar to Conan. Actually, Josh Abbott, the guy I worked for, commissioned the guitar, had me build it to, to give to Conan as a gift, and then Conan loved it. So it was a super cool thing. That's awesome. I love the uh, the Filtertron style pickups. Um, I have one in the neck position on the Telecaster I made. It's not a fancy hand-wound one like yours are, but it's, um, that's such an underrated pickup, man. Like everybody they talks about the PAS. Cool it like, doesn't get a lot of notoriety in the world. There's just so many, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. There's just like so many most people, pickup combinations oh, now. Yeah, most people think of them with like a semi-hollow Gretsch or something. And and that's, I mean, it has its own place. It's a, it's a famous guitar in its own right. But, I mean, they'll do so much more. They cover a lot of other bases really well in a solid body guitar, too. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, Definitely I think underrated. I think it's such a such an underrated uh, 
uh, pickup combination. So going from the, we can't say the name of it, the LP custom style guitar. Actually, can we, uh, can we take a break, uh, a pause there? How, mm-hmm. uh, Mike and I were talking about this right before the call. How does that work with uh, LP style um, guitars? And I don't know, how do you want to word this? Well, how not to get called out by Mark Agnesi, really? Yeah. <laughs> how does that legality work for you to like make a T style guitar and an LP style? You know, what are the? We don't know because there's other manufacturers. Is, that is there any technicalities okay. there? What decides uh, you can make it or not? Um, the body shape. I've actually changed it. The first couple that I did were exactly the same, um, but all the stuff I started off was completely hand done. So I would maybe buy a template and then hand draw it out and scale it from there and then kind of try to change my body shapes a little bit. Um, the headstock is a big no, no. If you got like the, the open book or the mustache looking headstock, um, apparently the body or beep, sorry, the, <laughs> beep. the, the LP body is, is a little more lax than like, if you want to do a firebird, forget about it. They're coming after you. Like you okay. have to change oh, it up dramatically. The single cut is so kind of just used everywhere that it's a little more generic. Yeah, like ESP. There's so many people that have knocked off that body shape that you I mean they. After them all. And the the hybrids that I do, I mean I've done a couple of set necks like junior styles, but the hybrids have my my tele shape headstock or the one that I use on my my T style guitar. So it, that kind of changes it up. So that's I haven't got a cease and desist yet. There we go. No cease and desist. That's a victory. Um, so speaking of cease and desist, um, let's make sure we don't get you one. So the caster guitar that doesn't start with Strat style guitar. Um, man, those things are, and I mean, I'm a T-style guitar yeah, don't, guy. Don't the T-star but, guy out of the group. But man, they are gorgeous. Like it's like artwork. Like I'd be too scared to play one, man. <laughs> Thanks so much, man. Uh, it's funny. I get a lot of hate on, especially on TikTok, about doing relic guitars. Um, and at first, I'm so OCD about wanting all the details perfect that I was like, I won't do those. That's that's ridiculous. But after I did the first one, it's the same process except for when I mean, you level stand and you buff it. It looks bright and shiny like a brand new guitar it's actually more work to do a relic but i kind of found the artistry in trying to make all the details look right make the checking look right you know make the scratches and dings in the right place that they would happen um but most of the touring guys want those because living in a vault or on the road the first time your wireless pack swings around it's going to take a chunk out of your guitar it's just going to happen they, so, they want it pre-done so they're not sad when it happens. <laughs> exactly. Like one of, uh, for the Josh Abbott band, the guitar player, Caleb, we've been good friends for a long time, but he got a really pretty green one, the, uh, the LP hybrid. And he, he's, he's rocking out playing a solo and he turns around and he runs the front of this brand new guitar right into a, a flight case sitting there, a cabinet oh, corner, just oh, takes a oh. chunk out of it. No. Yeah, it's a green guitar and his face just turned green as soon as it happened it matched the guitar <laughs> That's awesome. i mean it is true i mean you i've gotten a lot of new guitars and you know some used ones that do have some scuffs on it but like the first one that you put in yourself is always the hardest one to accept oh man it hurts so bad on a, on a 
really pretty shiny guitar. I did one of my 317s a while back, and it's this insane quilted top. And I did a the guy I built it for. He didn't care if I did some some kind of crazy stuff. He likes flashy things, so it's kind of like a tobacco sunburst. But I put some pearl in it where it would color shift. Ooh. And this thing is absolutely gorgeous. Wow. It looks like a gold top. Uh, it's not on the website. It's on my Instagram and TikTok. Okay, because that sounds awesome. It has, it has diamond inlays, like diamond outline inlay. It's a really cool guitar, but he's already taken a chunk out of that, and he's he <laughs> ordered a second guitar. He's like, dude, I need a relic telly because <laughs> he's like, this is my church guitar only from now on. It hurts too bad to put it <laughs> in this thing. This is my <laughs> Sunday best, dude. <laughs> uh-huh. Sunday best. I always thought of relic as like a personal style, but I've never thought of it as like. It's not going to hurt when you put a ding in it. Yeah, never that's a great that way. Makes, of that makes yeah, perfect it makes sense. So much actually, sense now. Yeah. I, yeah, like it never dawned on us. You're not going to notice if you put a dent. Yeah, yeah. It's huh. just adding to the story. It's it's giving it more character at that point. Because I know, as in in the guitar player world, it's either you love the you know relic stuff, Murphy Lab, whatever, or you don't. There's no in between. It seems like mm-hmm. people well, believe in it, I, or they're like, "You got to earn your stripes," kind of thing. Yeah. I get I get that all the time. Like this, one of my touring buddies. I don't do a lot of repairs, but my touring guys will rope me into doing stuff. Well, he had this Strat body, this old old Strat, and it's lacquer. It's kind of nasty looking. He wanted a different neck on it, so I took this. It's a flamed maple neck that I didn't build. I just put it on there for him, and then I had to age it to make it match the patina of the guitar. Well. I just did a video on, on TikTok. I was like taking this, this bright white maple and giving it some patina so it looks like it's been well played and you know, well worn in and everybody's like, That's not the same thing. You should you should play it. I was like, Well honestly I could play a guitar for eight hours a day for twenty years and it'll never look that gross because I take care of my stuff. Yeah, right. I wipe it down <laughs> when I'm done playing. I'm not gonna have finger cheese build up from thirty years. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not gonna look like that. Yeah, that's the one thing I'm probably going to have to accept because I play my instruments hard, but I take care of them. So it, it mm-hmm. like off, it offsets itself. Yeah, we're not touring, so it's not going to happen. <laughs> but I think the thing is, is like people have such a negative idea about the Relic stuff. I never really minded it if it's done well. Yeah. You know, like the Murphy Lab stuff, the stuff that you do, like, like professionally done relicking. But I think it gets a bad rap because you got these guys on – you know, reverb and eBay that are selling, you know, knockoff strap bodies that they took a belt sander to. And they're like, it's a heavy relic. You How know? about that strat <laughs> I sent you a couple weeks ago? It was uh, a strat that someone tried relicking. It looked it awful. It was butchered. They were selling. <laughs> butchered. It, it was, wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> it was a Mexican strat they were selling for like two or three hundred. I'm like, you know what? It's probably worth like a hundred bucks at this point. <laughs> Dude. I Part of that's Fender's fault because a lot of their custom shop relics look like they've been drug behind a tour bus without a case. <laughs> just tie it with a rope and just pull it behind the bus for a couple hundred miles. And it's only $2,800. Yeah. <laughs> for it's only $3,500, you can have our assembly line guitar that we drug behind a tour bus. <laughs> but um, it used to be eight pounds, but now it's seven and a half. <laughs> no, I saw... Yeah. Um... <laughs> <laughs> like a few splinters are missing out of it, but don't mind those. It helps it sustain better. More <laughs> it's, our, it's our new weight relief. <laughs> we'll abuse this guitar for more money. <laughs> we call it the cheese grater relief. 
There's a lot of things wrong with the guitar rolls these days. Uh, well, no, I saw one on Reverb the other day that like made me sick to my stomach. Like I was like almost like I think there should be like a protective services for guitars that I need to call. So this dude, it was a it a was GCFS. A, yeah, GCFS, dude. <laughs> Wait, no, did I get that wrong? DGFS. I don't know. I don't know how. No, it would be I don't know guitar. I don't know. We'll figure Whatever. it out. We'll figure it out. We'll make um, it. <laughs> Send us a message on Instagram if you figure out what guitar protective services could be called. And GPS doesn't work because they already use that for something. Um, but no, so this guy had drawn on the guitar with Sharpie and then tried to take it off with like a magic eraser or Lysol or something. And it just destroyed the finish. So he gave up halfway. So it was like smeared and then like half of it was still drawn on and half of it was like just the finish was like bubbling off the guitar. It was an American strap, by the way. Oh. And, uh, and then the neck, he was like, oh, it really just doesn't play to my style. And he took a picture of it, neither tried to relic it or reshape the neck himself with a belt sander. And it was, oh my God, dude, it was like flat in some spots. And I was just, and he's like, American, because I saw it, it was like American strap for $200. I was like, I'm going to buy this. And then I clicked on it. I was like, oh my God. Help. Somebody help. No one doing that. <laughs> That's the thing with shape and neck. Is you can always take a little more off, but you can't put it back on. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no, it was, it was even rough to where, like, because like, my, uh, my dad is the one who taught me how to do all the woodworking, right? So I'm sending him pictures of the guitar. And I was like, how, you know, how hard do you think it would be to try and refinish this? How far in this? And then I, like, got to the part where, like, the neck pictures were. And I sent him a screenshot, and I was just like, what I don't I don't even know what to say. Like I'm just it hurts. And then you went home and cried. I did go home and cry. Um, R.I.P. to in, that fender. It deserved better. Yeah, it deserved shame. Better. In some of my videos, you'll see like some of the older ones. You'll see this random like dreadnought back inside just hanging on my wall, and uh, it's an old kind of the same thing. It's a D28 Martin. It's a 78 model. And I bought it off of eBay and it was like, it, I got a deal and I don't remember what I paid for it too much, but it shows up and it looks like somebody had stepped on the top. Like it's totally cratered. Oh, the top no. was not even usable at all. The neck was okay. The back and sides were okay. But I mean, this thing was mutilated and then somebody, I don't know what they tried to do to fix it. Like, uh, I don't know. Uh, like rubber cement or something like they just huh? put all this rubbery <laughs> stuff in the cracks to try to hold it together. Really? I mean, but the braces were shattered on the inside and it shows up, open the case. I'm like, what did I buy? And uh, the seller wouldn't refund my money. So I took the top and the neck off. And one of these years I'll, I'll brace a new top for it and put it back together. But I was like, <laughs> if it's a basket case or a parts fixer upper guitar, be very careful off of eBay. <laughs> the, worst, the worst one I ever saw was uh, a very similar situation where, so they must have had cut into the sides of the, the acoustic guitar to put, I don't know, like a battery pack or some sort of like pickup system, something like that. Um, and then the top was cracked and their fix was to fill it with great stuff. 
like the expanding <laughs> foam. Was that like, the Gretsch? Was it the Gretsch? I think it was a Gretsch. You, I remember you. It was like a Gretsch Ranger acoustic, right? The next day you were ranting about this. Yeah, it was like a Gretsch <laughs> Ranger acoustic. And this dude, like, and not like one of the reissues, like one of the original ones. Like it was an old one. And oh, uh, man. yeah, they, they filled it with great stuff, like expanding foam. And Did they it, sand it to make it look nice? No, no, no. It, it was just, it was just, just like, look, yeah. Oh, my God. How about this one? And. It's a picture that Dylan sent me uh, months ago. Oh, that one hurts. A yeah. Jazz Master Trem put on a Gibson SG. Oh, no. <laughs> Those bodies are so thin anyways. This freaking spring on that thing is darn near it's about gonna, the same. It's going to poke through the back. It's going to poke out the back. <laughs> <laughs> People do things that are not meant to be we should We should start a video series of cursed guitars, dude. <laughs> like, just find dude, the God. worst of the internet. We can have James video call in and... And help we'll us decipher them. what's going on. Yes. Dude, one of the worst ones I've ever seen. And I got screwed on this deal. We were in Portland. We are playing some little venue in Portland. And there's this mom and pop music store a few blocks down. So we walked down there. And me and the guitar player from Josh Abbott Band, we were hanging out. We're like, hey, man, check out this. I mean, it's had a headstock repair. And the, the back of the neck looks a little suspicious. But, I mean... <laughs> It was one of the all, you remember they had all solid walnut Les Pauls. It was like a weird 70s thing, and the controls were a little different on it. They had weird pickups and stuff on them, right? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Well, I mean, it was super cheap. It was like five, six hundred bucks, whatever. Like, all right, it can't be that bad. Dude, I can't make this up. I get it back home, and I'm like, this is a really strange bulge where the volute would be on like a Martin or something, just the break of that headstock what is this? And I start sanding into it. They painted it black. It was freaking Bondo. And no. it gets worse than that. It gets worse than that. So I keep sanding through the Bondo and I'm like, what is that silver thing? <laughs> no, there's a bunch of them, dude. There was a lag bolt that somebody cut off. They put two lag bolts and they cut them short enough where they wouldn't go through the front of the headstock and six screws. And they put enough Bondo to make a round shape over the top of that painted it black. They didn't even glue the joint. They just screwed the headstock back on and filled it with Bondo. So they just took a DeWalt drill and, <laughs> and just <laughs> covered it Absolutely. up. Absolutely. <laughs> After that, the Bondo off and ran the screws out, the headstock fell off. <laughs> oh. oh. Mike is struggling with that one. <laughs> that one. That one hurt. That's bad. That's just no effort into doing anything to like, how do I fix this the right way? This was like, I, I don't know. I if I can find pictures, I'll send it to you. It'll blow your mind. It, it was ridiculous. I would absolutely yeah, love to we, see those pictures. I follow this page on Instagram called Bad Luthier. <laughs> and, dude, it is the worst things. Like like replacing a wraparound bridge on a Gibson with, like, a like monkey wrench. And just, like, <laughs> <laughs> like nailing the strings to it and just setting it behind the bridge posts. <laughs> That's crazy. My buddy Caleb sent me one the other day. It was uh, some guitar with a trim, kind of like a Strat trim. It might have, I don't think it was a Floyd, but it was something similar to a Strat trim, and they lost the the bar for it. So they drilled a hole in a spoon and screwed it into the the, (laughs) the trim of the (laughs) hole. Dude, we got to get us some spoon trims, man. That's the key to the sound right there. Oh, my God. Screw up. Every time you, I want a spoon <laughs> Right. Every time you go to, to push it, you don't know exactly how far it's going to bend. 
Better have a damn good quality spoon. <laughs> you want that spoon right. tone. <laughs> yeah, that spoon tone. <laughs> hey. People like the band Spoon, okay, guys? Yeah. <laughs> They're influenced that, by That tool. was their secret. That was their secret. <laughs> we figured secret. it out. <laughs> the old spoon tone trim <laughs> at the platform. Classic, man. And it's now classic. Dylan's going through that Instagram page. I am. It's there. hilarious. Yeah. I'll send it to you. It's, it's fine. hilarious, but it hurts. Yeah. It hurts. Um, <laughs> oh, man. There was a, there's actually a really uh, interesting video I saw from, uh, you know, Matt Scott, the, the guitarist uh, on YouTube. He has a ton of videos. He bought a 58 Gibson Les Paul, and that was the first time I ever saw exactly what you described, screws holding the headstock on. And when he un- he sanded down the, uh, I think he sanded down the neck. I don't, I, it's been a while. You see those screws poke on, your heart just sinks. <laughs> oh, man. I have a 58 Gibson. It's an acoustic, but I bought it for really cheap. And after I restored it, I actually sent pictures back to the guy I bought it from. Uh, the neck was in seven pieces. It had been run over by a car. Oh. <laughs> oh, if that's a test to your luthier skills, I don't know what does. Yeah, does it still I, play? I did a little digging because they painted the headstock black, and when I sanded it, <laughs> so you know, like the, the the three tuners on the, you know, on the top side of the acoustic. If you're holding the guitar in playing position, I sanded that off, and somebody had taken three inch deck screws and, <laughs> and run it sideways from the like the low E tuner to the high E tuner, <laughs> and like in two more places through the headstock sideways. Size oh. There's your advertisement right there. Greg Guitars. He's so good. He fixed a neck that was broken in seven places and held together with deck screws. Sideways. Not to buy his guitar now. <laughs> I ended up having to make a new back for it. There's only one original brace in it. I had to make a new truss rod because that got all busted. You can't find a truss rod that right length, so I had to get stainless steel rod and, and uh cut threads in it with a, a die. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, to be a neurosurgeon for that. <laughs> um, that was one of my most intense restorations, and I was like, people always try to buy it because it sounds so good. I actually, when I rebraced the top, I did forward shifted X bracing in like the pre-war Martin pattern on a Gibson. So <laughs> it's, it sounds way better than it should, but <laughs> way more labor. It doesn't sound like a Gibson anymore at all. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, there's way more labor in this guitar than I could ever get back out of it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you put so much effort into that. I mean, I, I don't know how you would let go of it. But um, I actually did a whole process, like a slideshow of the whole process. I'll send it to you guys. You, you'd be fascinated to see how screwed up this guitar was. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, we would love to yes. see all of that. And, like, if you don't mind, we'll, we'll share that on our, our social medias and stuff as well. And, because we're yeah, now no going to start. Yeah, we're going to take a real deep dive after this call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then all these touring artists that uh, that play Gibsons, I'm not. I'm really not trying to hate on Gibsons. I own several of them, but they don't put any reinforcements in the sides at all. And uh, you you give a country artist a couple of cocktails and a, a big crowd that's energetic, inevitably they're going to ball up their right fist and go banging on the guitar to try to pump up the crowd. And every time they do that, especially the really big guys, it just gives it a hellacious side crack from like neck block to tail block. And I mean, I've had (laughs) one guy has done the same guitar. It's crack. It's had the same cracks 
parallel each other because I fix one crack, he'll hit it again. It'll run the same crack about a half an inch from the, the original crack. <laughs> so it's we insane. see why you uh, decided to get out of the, the guitar tech business. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, like they're trying to bring them to me, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, week, like dang it, guys. One of the venues in Texas has a, the stages on hydraulics, and uh, so it'll raise up like a story and a half high all the way to the top. Oh, you load this is in and, be bad. Um, it's actually Josh Abbott, his 918 Taylor. He was he didn't see it happen, but um, it fell from the top level all the way to the the bottom floor, right on the end pin. Oh, that's like such a small area for all of that force. Oh man. It, it knocked the tail block completely out of the guitar, cracked the top and the back and both sides. I mean, it just splintered this thing. Oof. I'll put it back together. There's a video on my Instagram of the restoration process. And uh, I put it all back together. And then two months later, it comes back. All those cracks that I fixed are, are still fixed, and it's shattered again. I was like, how did you do this a second time? I had to glue the tail block back in again, like fix take these little splinters and try to glue them back together. Josh, this is the last time I've seen this. I feel like you're like the, the dad of the, the group of touring musicians. Like, Hey James. Uh, so something bad happened again. It was like, you think it's about time to retire this one? I was like, I'm gonna be honest, man. It can't take many more, uh, falls like that. It it doesn't have many more in it. It was done three falls ago. Yeah. This is a this is a bunch of splinters after after one more fall. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> fire starter sticks at this point. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, with all that all that finish on there, man, that that rose would make a heck of a fire. Right there. Real flammable. Great vintage <laughs> tone to the fire crackles, dude. It'll yeah. be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, every once in a while, I get to restore a pretty historic guitar there's this artist named pat green and he's kind of a staple of texas he went and did the nashville thing and he's had like big hits on on major labels and stuff but one of his big hits is called wave on wave and he wrote that guitar or wrote that song on a guitar that it got destroyed it's a gibson j200 and uh <clears throat> they raffled it off for like a charity auction or something and and it sold for a lot of money, but the person that ended up winning it a little while later, they ended up giving it back to him. And then he comes to me and he's like, like, Hey man, so, uh, I know this thing is in splinters, but it has a lot of, you know, sentimental value because I wrote one of my bigger hits on this. Is there any way we can put it back together? And, uh, somehow I, I resurrected the splinters <laughs> and got it back. And then he played Billy Bob's is like a big, big venue in Texas. It's like the world's largest honky tonk. So he played it at, at Billy Bob's the night that I brought it out to him. It was really cool. Man. So you're kind of a miracle worker. It seems like sometimes I have to be, I I don't do nearly as many repairs anymore because I see why I mean, I, <laughs> I probably have 18 or 18 ish orders going right now. And That's I mean, amazing. they just keep yeah. me hopping between the acoustics and electric builds. And then I build some pedal steel guitar cabinets for another company. So there's not really a lot of time to, to do much repairs anymore. Speaking of guitars, me and Dylan and, and Christian, we really, we really like that, uh, 
that double bound telly. Yeah, the, the one you were building the <laughs> yeah, other day. Yeah, yeah. That video. Oh man, that looks really cool. Oh, thanks. Yeah, my fingers get destroyed every time I bind guitars. And yesterday I did three more of them. Oh, and, that's uh, gotta hurt. I I glued myself to it. I'm still kind of transitioning from my garage <laughs> to my new shop. This is a funny story. You're gonna appreciate this. Um, I have this glue release stuff, but of course it's not at my shop. It's at my house. I only ever think about it whenever I glue myself really bad to something. <laughs> I'm like third guitar in. I'm done with it. My fingers hurt so bad because you got to hold a lot of pressure to make sure the binding is seated properly. I'm just giving it the death grip, squeezing as hard as I can. And some of this glue wicks out and I don't know that it's, it's happened. So I'm holding this tight as I can and I go to let go of the guitar and it won't let go. <laughs> And then usually you can kind of turn your finger a little bit or you can manipulate it and get it off. But I, I realized I was like, uh Oh yeah, this I'm, I'm stuck really bad. I'm not, this is not coming off. If only I had a like I release. Picked up, yeah. I picked up my, I moved my hand and picked up the whole guitar and shook it. And it, it still stuck. The telly body is hanging off of my hand and I'm like, what's the move? Do I drive home with a telly stuck to my left hand to get the glue release? Waving at the neighbors driving by. Hey, got, oh, got the telly on my hand. Sorry. Now, see, now it's worth more because you sell it as this guitar's got a piece of legendary Luthier James Gregg attached to it. You know, your DNA is in that guitar. <laughs> right. Dude, my thumb will not be right for a while after that. <laughs> It's going to take a while to get that callus back. Oh, man. <laughs> How'd you get it off? Dude, I, I stood there for five minutes. I'd pull on it a little bit. I was like, ow, no, this I can't pull this off. This hurts too bad. It's going to take off a lot of skin. And then finally I was like, I had to shut the gate. I was the last one to leave. So I was like, I can't close the lock on the gate with the telly hanging off of my hand. <laughs> I can't. I can't do it. Take two hands to do it. I just had to rip it off. Ooh, nice. you with the band-aid solution. Yeah, this is, uh, this is a uh-huh. classic sitcom storyline. Yeah, it's like those uh, the Christmas story where he sticks his tongue on the frozen pole. Yeah, I need a videographer. Like, I feel like the behind-the-scenes bloopers reel would just crush content way more than what I'm putting out right now. People get way more of a kick out of the stuff that goes wrong. You're right. Bloopers are always the way to go. Yeah, That's the they, best they part. always are. <laughs> well, we do videos and we're for hire for approximately uh, three guitars, right, guys? Yeah. No. Three guitars and, uh, we'll, we'll bring the beer or cocktails, whatever your, your choice. Sweet. <laughs> we're going to Texas, we'll guys. Let's go. We'll just survive on guitars. It's fine. <laughs> so, you guys are in Chicago? Yeah. Yep. It's a fun place. We did several shows there. Um, we do some barbecue festival, and uh, we did House of Blues a couple of times. It was always fun getting out that way. Yeah, Chicago is one of the cleaner but big cities of the United States. Mm-hmm. Is L.A. and New York are kind of dirty in some areas. It's but clean in Chicago? Yeah. Oh, have you been to these, these other cities? Like... All like I know the, is the weird guy dancing to techno when we were in Denver, but but yeah, the the like the main part of Chicago is a lot cleaner than like yeah. LA. Y'all ever go to Joe's? Joe's? Uh, oh, over Street. in like Joe's? Rosemont on Weed Street. Yeah. Oh yeah. The yeah, venue yeah, yeah. you played there. Yeah, man, those uh, they they know how to treat a band. They talk about cocktails. They will uh, 
it's their mission to make sure that you're overserved every time you play there. <laughs> that place is in a it's nice fun. area too. So once you're done playing, you you go out to the bars, you hang out in that neighborhood. Yeah, there That's you a go. Good spot. It was always fun, man. They treated us really, really good there, and uh, they had good food, great cocktails, and then there's like a VIP bar upstairs that the artists you could hang out, and they would they would make you whatever you wanted while you were there. Super hospitable. It was a it was one of the funner venues to, to go to because they actually cared about who was there. You know, you weren't just treated like, oh, you're the help. You're going to play a show and then get out of here, leave us alone. That's how they get you to come back. For That's, sure. Yeah. yeah, you took the words right out of mouth. Yeah. That's how you, you, you bring business back, you know. And Absolutely. They know damn well, you're going to tell every person you play with or tour with or do anything. They're like, dude, you got to go play Joe's. Yeah, <laughs> the, you get... Shrugged, <laughs> <laughs> and they treat you right, and they feed you. <laughs> yeah, they they got some they got some great wings there. They got all kinds of good food. Ooh, now I know where we're going. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Joe's on Weed Street. <laughs> there we go. See, now you got to come back out, play a show. We can come hang out. It'll be a good time. Man, I want to get back out to Chicago. Whenever I do, I'll definitely holler at you guys. Just wait uh, a couple months. It's uh, I think it's what sixteen degrees tomorrow. Yeah, Ooh. it's not great. Yeah, not great. So just give it up right. two months. The weather here in Texas is is ridiculous right now. So today it was seventy eight degrees. Tonight it will be twenty four. <laughs> what? <laughs> Mother Nature is hitting the crack pipe. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah, wasn't it uh, like three or four months ago? These guys got this ice storm that came through. Uh, we, we did last year and it like knocked out power for a week oh, and yeah, yeah it, it like, was gnarly. It was, mm-hmm. Yeah. That was, uh, the same it, time it was uh negative 50 here and we all went to work. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. That was a fun time. <laughs> I called into work cause my car wouldn't start because it was negative 50. And, uh, my boss was like, no, you got to make it in. I'm here. Yeah, you can do it. We get three snow flurries here and half the cars are in the ditch. <laughs> People don't know how to drive when it's when it's dry outside. You give them a little rain and it's it's chaos. But anything that looks like snow, if it's foggy outside, it's just kind of white. And you think it might snow, you better steer clear because there be a lot of people in the ditches. See here, it's it's, here if it's gonna snow, the lanes disappear and you make your own lanes on the highway. It's a really fun game we do here in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite. I, mean, I want was... some snow. Um. The, the people from down south, I know there was some in Texas that or like some in, uh, yeah, like Mississippi and Louisiana. When that snowstorm came through last year, they were like, snow is a government conspiracy. And they were like trying to microwave snow. And they're like, look. And it's like, I don't know what they, what are you showing me? You're putting snow in a microwave. Like, cold things don't work in hot things. I'm guessing it might melt. I don't know, but I'm guessing. <laughs> Well, no, it was, like, sparking, and people are, like, freaking out. And, like, everyone's, like, there's, like, minerals and stuff in it because it's rain. And, like, there's salt. And, like, they're, like, it's logical that, yeah, you pulled this thing off the street that's salted and came from the clouds. Like, there's going to be minerals and things that don't go well with radiation. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's crazy. Uh, Guitars to weather. Yeah. Guitars to weather. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, man, definitely. I wish 
I wish we get some snow here. I say that, but last year I wished for snow and that happened. But <laughs> it's I mean, your fault. Okay, that's <laughs> totally my fault. My birthday wish is I wanted snow, and then we had snowmageddon, snowpocalypse. <laughs> and then you tell no one about your birthday wish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm like that wasn't mine. Uh uh-uh. uh Well, the secret's out now. <laughs> wasn't me. <laughs> oh man. But well, since we were on that topic of like <laughs> fucked up guitars. Um, that was like 10 minutes ago. Mike. Yeah, I know. But Tighten up, dude. <laughs> like, uh, what are some like misconceptions of like guitar care that you hear that? Oh, like, that's a like, good one. Like, we have no, a lot no, of, no, this is the way you do it or you are. Yeah. Wrong. We have a lot of musicians who listen to the show. So like, that's a great. Yeah. Oh, the biggest one is people will, I've done some, a lot of like restringing and, you know, just tech tip kind of videos. I did those a lot a couple of years ago and then people will just grill me on TikTok like you should never take all of your strings off and I'll look at their profile and they're like 15 years old like (laughs) maybe you should check somebody's profile before you try to give them advice but um no it's it's perfectly okay to take your strings all the way off and that's how you deep clean and condition your fretboards that's how you polish your fret you know you do all the maintenance things that you need so you don't have a bunch of finger cheese growing on your fretboard (laughs) People yeah. don't take but, their strings all the way off? No, like people will take them off like one, at a, off one at a time and change it, and then they'll put, take off the next one and change it. I, I've never that, got that, but I have I've heard never, that before. I have never heard anyone tell me that before. That's why I was I, astounded. <laughs> well, like that, I heard that a lot from, you know, random internet videos when I was first learning how to play guitar. When the internet was unregulated. Well, the, the internet was uh, the Wild <laughs> West. other 13-year-olds? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The internet was the Wild West. <laughs> The other one that I used to hear all the time was that like people would be like, "Don't use wall hangers." No, that, wall hangers are perfectly fine. Yeah, the, the, but the people the would be like, is, "Oh, it's going to pull on the the body's going to pull on the neck and it's going to ruin the joint." I feel like it's, it's, like, it's better than mine, where I'm like technically leaning it on a foam piece and it's putting pressure on the neck. You just throw way. your guitar through the drywall, right? Every <laughs> yeah. time you're if, done playing if it. If anything, wall hangers are helping. It's like spinal decompression for your instrument. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> It's helping out with all the tension on the neck. All you listeners, you heard it here first. I can't advise, <laughs> make sure your wall hangers are on right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, Christian, Christian's guitars fell off the wall the other day. I, I woke up one morning and my Les Paul was face down on the couch. <laughs> oh, no. At least it was on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> Not a dent. It was fine. It was perfectly fine. It felt nice and softly on the couch. It was good. <laughs> the biggest thing, though, is a lot of people think, I mean, if you have acoustic instruments, if it's in a case and it has a humidifier, it's it's probably more safe than being on a wall hanger. But like me, I have a, a whole room humidifier for my instrument room. So, I mean, if your guitar is hanging out in a case, it's not really doing you much good. You're probably not going to pull it out and play it as much as you would if you can just walk in a room and see it. So how important would you say humidity is since you have a, a whole room for it? Extremely important. Like, especially for anything with like uh, a non-bound fretboard or acoustic instruments, you can get, you can get cracks starting that you might not necessarily see if they get super dry. And uh, I also run a dehumidifier. So it's kind of, it's weird. It said it like if it gets over 55%, the dehumidifier kicks on. If it's below that, then the humidifier will keep it from 45 to 55%. So what would you recommend for people like us? We don't, we all kind of went like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. See, that's great advice. What exactly should we do? And we have to run home and change a few things in our house. 
So they have these little, like Thermapro has these things you can get on Amazon that are really cheap. It just shows like the humidity level and the temperature. Um, and I keep a couple of those in different places in the room. They're like 10 bucks a piece, 10 or $12. And then just a, a room humidifier. I have one that I bought off of Amazon that's digital so you can set a range and it just holds it right at 50%. Like 40, 45 to 50%, 55% is the perfect range. So it just keeps the room, usually you're, you're, if you have central heat and air, your unit's going to keep it you know, at least 45, 50% or below. So you don't have to usually worry about it getting too humid if you're running a central heat and air, but like keeping it somewhere around 50%, that'll keep your fret ends from, from getting sharp. And that'll keep your, uh, your acoustic, your, your thin wood instruments from developing cracks and stuff like that. That was probably the best advice we could have gotten tonight. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) We've been doing that wrong this whole time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, So where can the good people find you? How can they order a guitar? I mean, everybody's got to give you all of their money. I think that's part of the stipulations of you come on the show, everybody gives you all their money, and the world's a happier place. (laughs) Well, I mean, at least we can can give people... In, increased satisfaction and in instrument playing, I guess, there we go. <laughs> if nothing else. But yeah, at Greg Guitars on Instagram and TikTok. I have a Facebook, but I'm not super active on it. And then gregguitars.com, 3G's in the middle. It's my website. Um, I try to keep that updated, but most of the stuff that I'm currently working on up to date, you'll see updates on my Instagram or TikTok. And another cool thing for people that order guitars is, I'll tag the people I'm building for when I'm working on their stuff, doing videos of different processes of building their instruments. Oh, that's people super are seeming cool. to really that's like cool. that. So you can watch watch it's you build like along, a, basically. Yeah, it's like an update. That's exactly. really cool. I like that. That that is a really it, cool idea. It works really cool, but sometimes people are like, "Hey, I haven't seen any update posts lately. Are you still working on my guitar?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, my backfire on you a little bit. To me. <laughs> yeah, like what you see uh, that I post about is like. A tenth of what I do in a day is not the only thing. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. So that's that's Greg Guitars, G R E G G G Guitar Guitars. Three yeah, yeah. G R E G G Guitars. My last question is: Three G is like an old cell phone. Yeah, right. One important question I have to see is: When are you going to do another pickup contest? Yeah, because we didn't win the first time, and we were really upset. So we're waiting for the next one. <laughs> Man, I need to do another one. I need to – my Instagram is doing pretty well. I, I'm up to, I think, a little over 16,000. Maybe we could do one at, like, 30,000 or something, 30K giveaway. So everybody needs to go follow Greg Guitars so he does another pickup giveaway so we can get new pickups for our guitars. <laughs> Absolutely. I Simple. support that. Simple. Yeah, so there we go. Easy. Easy. Quick maths, guys. Quick maths. <laughs> hit, the, hit the blue follow button. You'll be good. So we need all of you that follow us to make what? Like 10 accounts apiece. <laughs> go, follow, <laughs> go follow Greg. We'll, we'll be done by Sunday. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll take care of it. We're going to get some spoof accounts, those weird people that message us asking us to buy followers. We'll get all of that for you. Yeah, promote it. At. <laughs> Still cheaper than pickups. <laughs> That's funny. I had a lot of people who were bummed out um, 
I guess the algorithm is promoting my stuff to like Brazil and a couple of other Dude, the Brazilians countries. are all over our page. We love them. They, oh, it's, it's like our third great. biggest it's, fan base. It's like the U.S., Sweden, and Brazil. <laughs> yeah, their U.S. is like second now. Brazil is like number one for followers, which is awesome. But they were all sad because I did a U.S. only giveaway because of like trying to deal with shipping internationally. Oh and yeah, and I mean, I wouldn't have wanted you to go through that. So <laughs> that's a that's a big. Big process for that. Hey, shout out the followers I, in Sao Paulo, though, dude. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Been a, man. Been a minute since we we shouted out our Brazilian followers. We've been stuck in our <laughs> Swedish followers. Yeah, you're right. We we did shout out the Swedish followers in the Tall Doug episode, but we're back on. <laughs> I don't Brazil. have any guitars over there yet. I do have I do have one in the UK, which is pretty cool. That is pretty sweet. Uh, was it a, like a musician or a private sale? Um, he's a musician. He came to the Dallas International Guitar Festival when I had a show there, and he saw saw some of my stuff. And he came back to another show in Fort Worth a few months later, and he bought one and took it back with him. He actually carried it on the plane with him. Oh wow, that is a ballsy move. Yeah, right. I mean, I would <laughs> rather to... buy another seat for my. And then I would, I would. That's exactly what I would do. I would I'm buy another seat. A handmade guitar. I'm not going to trust some. Dude, throwing it in the back in the belly of a of a plane, just tossing it in there, and you're like, "All right, you know, ten Dude, degrees on the plane, thirty thousand feet in the air, no thanks." <laughs> a little off track, but I had a nightmare like that internationally. I went to I went to Africa and I took a cheap guitar because I knew it was probably going to get beat up. I took an Ovation acoustic, and we're we're go strolling into Africa. We're walking through customs, and uh, I'm like, "Where's my guitar? Where's my guitar?" Well, it was pouring down rain when we landed. And they had these open top carriers. Well, it sat out on the tarmac for an hour in the pouring rain. Oh. Shout out to Reunion Blues because it was in a Reunion Blues Continental case, and it was soaking wet. And I opened it up, not a drop of water on the inside. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty big sell right there. <laughs> I'm actually a dealer for those guys now. Like after traveling with them, and you can even check those those cases there. They're technically gig bags, but they're made out of ballistics materials. And really? I've had less acoustics damaged by flying and checking them in those. I've actually had no acoustics damaged in those cases, but I've had them damaged in wood cases. That's insane. I'll have to check that out because I need to. Uh, all of my cases are falling apart. So it's yeah, about, time to, about time to update the, the cases for all my guitars. They make, they make excellent stuff, man. And they've got a lifetime warranty on them, too. All right. Well, simple math again. Quick simple, maths. Quick maths. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but, I mean, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to talk with us. It's a great time talking to you. Like, so much fun. We got yeah, to go down to Texas now or you got to come up here. <laughs> something. But if we come to Texas, we expect some of that barbecue you're cooking. So, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll make you some barbecue anytime. All right. Thank you so much yes. for having me on, guys. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, we really appreciate right, it. Take care.